you want to be turning in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, we'll be there in just a little bit, Philippians chapter 3. How many of us have put our faith in Christ, and yet we still feel like there's no peace in our lives? Maybe as we were going through the sermon this morning, some of you were thinking about the different kind of peace that I told you we weren't going to talk about till tonight, and you were really searching for that, uh, and you're hoping for that. I know uh, over the last year, uh, a lot of us who consider ourselves mostly peaceful people, uh, who, who really don't get shaken by very much, we've probably been shaken uh, a time or two by some of the things that have gone on in one way or another. Uh, and... And I hope that uh, what we study tonight will help us to understand uh, what has gone on and why it's gone on and why uh, it doesn't have to to be like that, though it probably will uh, again in the future. We will have anxieties, we will have fears, we will have things that pop up, uh, but we can learn how to deal with those in a way that is helpful and constructive. God promises peace in the sense of making peace with us. And that's a lot of what we talked about this morning. Uh, And that peace will never be taken away from us. It's always there. And and we can have internal peace in that external peace that we enjoy with God and with each other. Uh, And that's that's really what those songs were pointing to is... um, we, we enjoy the relationships that we have. And those relationships, as we're tied to one another, help us to have peace in a world that is not so peaceful. Because the truth is uh, that even though God promises us peace, He also promises us suffering. These two ideas to us, may seem completely opposite, diametrically opposed from one another. Uh, That there's no way that you can have peace and then also have suffering. They're not supposed to happen at the same time. You, You either have peace or you have suffering. You can't have both. And yet, God promises both. And whenever we come into the New Testament, we see that there There are both. There's not just one. It's not a beautiful, easy-going picture of peace and butterflies and rainbows and everything's good. It's, it's a struggle throughout the New Testament. God promises peace in Christ, and that is ours, and we enjoy that, and it's available to everybody. But those who have peace in Christ make themselves enemies of this world. And that is something that God knew would happen. And that is something that God foretold would happen. And God God wanted us to understand that that is the reality. That those who side with Him will be rejected by the world. Is that not what we've been studying about in Jeremiah? Jeremiah being rejected over and over again. That's the same thing we've been studying about Matthew. Is Jesus Himself is being rejected. But God said it before any of that took place. Uh, that's the way it would be. And he showed it to us over and over again throughout the Old Testament. 
One of the texts that, that really point to this is Ezekiel 38 and 39, where really in the section of Ezekiel, it's just full of promises. I mean, there's so many promises. There's so many positive things in Ezekiel. But whenever you get to 38 and 39, what you see is the nations rising up and surrounding Jerusalem and getting ready to attack God's people. And God, of course, stands up for them and fights and defeats them. But you still get that principle, that idea in there that, that those who are in the world hate God's people and want to reject them and want to bring about tremendous suffering and oppression for those who are God's people. Zechariah has a similar picture. Uh, except it's interesting. In Zechariah, it actually says it kind of differently. Uh, in Zechariah 13, verse uh, 7 through 9, it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. This is a kind of a complicated promise, a com complicated prophecy here. Uh, but notice the New Testament reference. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Is something that is quoted in the New Testament as uh, part of the, the murder of Jesus and the, the scattering of the disciples. Uh, striking the shepherd, the sheep scattering. So it's fulfilling in the New Testament. It is, it is finding its fulfillment. But the way it says it is as though God is behind it and God is the one who's bringing all of this about with a particular purpose in mind. And that's really the thing I want you to see in this is he knows that he's going to have to let his people go through suffering. But he has a purpose in the suffering. He has something in mind, something that he's desiring, and that is their refinement. So that through the fires of trials, they will come out the other side, calling upon his name and finding that he is there for them. And he is calling them his people. He's loving them. He's caring for them. And they are loving God and caring a lot about God's will and God's desires. So in this we see uh, that those who have peace in Christ are making themselves enemies of the world and they're receiving suffering and the sword is coming out against them, but God has something that he desires to make out of them. And is that not what we see repeated throughout the New Testament? We're going to be looking at that tonight, understanding how that is the intention and that is the desire of God, that we, even though we can have external peace through the relationship we have with God, the relationship we have with each other, we can also have external strife and suffering uh, as we live in a world, as I said this morning, where we are foreigners, we're citizens elsewhere, 
And, and even though we've got that external strife, we can still maintain internal peace. But how? And what does that look like? And, and how are we supposed to have internal peace when externally what we mainly see is strife? Yes, we have relationship with God. Yes, we have relationship with other members of Christ's church. But how does that help me when my family disowns me? How does that help me when my workplace uh, is hostile toward my beliefs and, uh, and I'm dealing with different sufferings and strugglings and trials that are not really anybody's fault, but it's just part of life? How does that affect me? How, how do I have internal peace in those situations? As we go through the fire, it's not going to be easy. But we see that it is expected of us to have peace. We've been studying in Matthew, and there's a couple of texts in Matthew that I'll remind you of. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus uh, says two things. He says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Uh, he's basically saying, your stuff that you have here will, will be destroyed. It's temporary. Uh, but lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy. And, and he says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Kind of a recognition, you're going to lose your stuff in this life. That's just how it is. That's the way it's going to be. And then he says in verse 25, uh, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat or drink or your body, what you will put on, uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? We know this text. And, and some of us who deal with anxiety just kind of cringe at this text because this is the text that tells us don't be anxious. And we're just like, but it, I can't help it sometimes. It's really hard not to be anxious sometimes. Because, I mean, there's, there's struggles, there's strife, and there's things that we have to deal with, and we don't know how to deal with those things. But Jesus is expecting us. Not to be anxious. Why? Because God values us. God values us more than he values the sparrows, more than he values the lilies. And he says, if God's willing to do all this for them, why are you doubting that God will do all this for you? And this is uh, a text that tells us our Heavenly Father knows what we need. And he's willing to provide those things for us. A text that's telling us we need to have internal peace in times of abundance or in times of need, to know that God is right there, He sees it all, and He is able to provide whatever it is that we need. And, and we have to be able to overcome the anxieties of this life and the vulnerabilities of this life. We are vulnerable to disease. We're vulnerable to uh, losing everything that we have, losing those that we love. I mean, we're just weak and helpless in life. And we have to overcome those truths and not be focused about those things. Instead, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. This is the perspective God wants us to have toward this life and the needs that we have in this life. And so he expects us to overcome our anxieties and, and the, the insecurities that we have in this life and accept the fact that these things are not up to us, they're not under our control, but believe that they are in God's control and trust that He is good to deliver 
on the things that we need. I love this text, but it really is pointing us to having inner peace. Not being people who are so frazzled uh, by the loss of things on this earth. Not be people who are so frazzled that we hoard up as much as we can and think that that's going to save us in the end. But that we're people who believe that God is working to take care of us all along the way. You go to chapter 10 and you read about the disciples being told that they're going to go through suffering as well. Maybe they're not going to have a lack of need, but they're going to deal with rejection As they go out into the world and teach the truth about Jesus, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If if they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. You see, again, Jesus pointing to the reality of suffering. You will suffer as I have suffered. Coming to me to follow me is not going to relieve you of suffering in this life. It's not going to make you exempt from suffering. It's not as though now you have the get out of suffering free card that you can play every time a trial comes. No, that's not how it's going to be at all. In fact, he says, he makes it clear, if you follow me, they're going to do to you what they do to me. You will have suffering in your life. And instead of telling them, everything's going to be okay and and you're not going to suffer, he says, I don't want you to be afraid, even if they can kill you. How many of us have peace with dying for the cause of Christ? I don't know about you, but I don't think I would really enjoy that. (laughs) I wouldn't look forward to that with little mouths to feed and and family to take care of, and and people relying on me. There's a number of things I'd be thinking about and considering. And and I mean, yeah, I mean, dying isn't that bad, really, if you think about what's to come. But there are things that I might struggle with. But listen to what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I just had to pick that text in the, uh, after shaving my head. Uh, yeah, it's, it's this, this thought that God knows every single thing that's going on in your life. And He is allowing these things to happen, and it's all in His control, and it's all working together for our good. And He's trying to make this point very clear. You don't have to be afraid of them because they are not in control. They might seem like they're in control, but they're not in control. I am in control. Trust me to take care of everything. In verse 34, He said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now, isn't that the opposite of what we studied this morning? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. He came to bring those who submit to Him peace, 
but he didn't come to make the earth a peaceful place. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's describing people who have inner peace enough to say, okay, my family rejected me, but I'm okay. God loves me. God is with me. God is taking care of me. God sees everything that I'm going through, and it's okay. Now, I'm okay. The type of person who is willing to take up the cross and follow Jesus. In other words, the type of person who's willing to endure whatever rejection comes. He's teaching them to have internal peace in believing that God sees and knows everything they're going through and he's still with them, even when it doesn't look like he is. That's amazing. The third instance uh, where Jesus teaches about peace is, interestingly enough, right before he dies in John 14, uh, he goes and he's speaking to the disciples this whole time, and he says to them, uh, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace do I give you peace, but I give you peace. Essentially, he's saying that to his disciples, even though they're about to lose him to crucifixion, he tells them, I'm giving you my peace. Because you know what I'm telling you is true. I go to the Father and I will return again. You see, his complete trust in the truth of what's about to happen to him, he's trying to give that to his disciples that they might believe the things that he has told them about the Father and that they might be willing to endure the trial ahead of them with inner peace. And he has that inner peace in him. He knows God is in control and that everything's going to be okay. And so what we see in all this is anxiety, fear, sorrow, and grieving. They're all natural responses that are welling up inside of us. Jesus recognized that they're afraid. They're wondering what's going to happen. And these disciples will scatter when the shepherd is struck. But there's an expectation for us to overcome all of those things and follow Christ. As long as God is in control, we really don't have anything to fear. And we have everything to look forward to. We can lay up treasures in heaven where nothing destroys it. And we get to enjoy those blessings whenever they kill the body. They don't kill the soul. We get to enjoy those things. And so all of that is supposed to create in us peace that passes understanding. That this world can't understand, can't grasp. Now let's look at Philippians. We just did an overview of this book, so it, it may be a little bit fresh on some of your minds. But if you remember, Philippians is a book written by Paul as he's about to face execution. <laughs> is he frazzled? Is he terrified? Is he shaking? Is he crying out? 
uh, as though he has no hope? No. The exact opposite is true of Paul. As he faces execution, he faces it with joy and peace. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He knows they can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. And so he's faced with a very stressful situation in life. One that if we were in that same situation, we might be struggling with anxiety and and fear and and unsure about what's going to happen to other people around us who we're trying to help and and what are we going to do and how are we going to deal with the pain and the things that we're going to be facing. Are we ready for the test? Are we ready for the trial? Paul faces this with complete peace and security, knowing that everything's going to work out for his good in the end. He's not being stoic. I know that's a common idea of today that someone would would desire... uh, to to handle their trials by being very stoic. And that is just emotionless. Like, you've got emotions, but you you don't think that some emotions are going to help you, so you just put those away. And you decide to be cold and callous toward those. You have no control over anything. Nobody does. And so just suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) And it's not going to help you to whine and cry about the things that that you're about to go through. That's, that's basically what stoicism is all about. Just make yourself callous to your trials and say, it's okay, it doesn't matter, I can't do anything anyway. That's not what he's doing at all. He is recognizing that the truth of what's about to happen to him is completely in the hands of God, but he has hope for the future that is coming. The promises that God has made for him. And so even though he knows he's about to go through this, He knows that God will deliver the ultimate blessing when this life is over. He says he counts all things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Is that how we feel? You know, really, Paul's in this interesting circumstance where his trial is not the result of his sin or of anything he's done wrong. It's really just the result of his own beliefs. And because he is losing everything for the sake of Jesus, all of that is going up into heaven and an eternal reward. And he knows that. He knows he has a great reward in heaven for everything that he's lost. God is taking care of it for him. And this is the way he views his death, that he just gets to enjoy the reward that was taken away from him. And God's going to give him bountifully beyond what it is that he lost in the relationship that he's going to share with God and with Christ for all eternity. He believes in that. Many people, when they're faced with trials, lose sight of that reality. He talks about them in verse 17 of chapter 3. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, referring to Timothy and Epaphroditus, who also were sacrificing for the cause of Christ. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He tells us that there are some who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? 
because they're out there preaching against Christ and they're out there killing Christians? No, because their God is their belly. They glory in their shame and they set their minds on earthly things. Essentially because those who are calling themselves Christians are so wrapped up in the world that they're not willing to lose the things that they have for the cause of Christ. But our citizenship, he says in verse 20, is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Notice how he transitions over to the, trans the transformation that we have to look forward to. Our citizenship's in heaven, and from it we await a Savior who will transform our lowly body into his, one like his glorious body. That's the way he's focused on the, the suffering in this life. It's just this lowly body going through what this lowly body is uh, promised to go through. Suffering, trial, test. And, and dealing with all of that, he says, I'm just focused on what's ahead. There's a transformation coming. There's a new body that will be given to me. And so what we see in this is that inner peace is the result of faith. Inner peace is the result of faith. We have inner peace, like Paul, when we truly believe that the things of this earth are of no value compared to knowing Christ and receiving the blessing that has been promised to us in Christ. And so Paul says, imitate me and imitate those who walk like me. Uh, walk as though you're not living for this world. Walk as though you're living for the world that's to come with complete trust and complete faith. And there is peace in that. The next section, he starts commanding them to be at peace. The Philippians are going to go through suffering like Paul. He wants them to have peace. First of all, he says, have peace with one another. I entreat Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And I ask you also, true companion, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel. So basically here we have a wolf and a lamb, maybe, or two wolves who are, who are wanting to fight with each other. And Paul says, they need to agree in the Lord. There is peace in the Lord. We're together. We're one body. And we're working toward the same goal with the same mind and the same heart. And so he commands peace between us. And then he commands peace inside of us. Look at how he put it. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Joy and peace really go together, don't they? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First of all, before we go into the latter part of verse 6, think about this. He says, rejoice. Well, we can't rejoice if we're worried. We can't rejoice if we have anxiety welling up inside of us. We're not rejoicing. We're worried. We're, we're stressed. 
It's too much for us to handle right now. And so joy isn't even on our calendar as something we might do. That's the next vacation. That's when joy might happen. Though it probably won't happen there either because we'll be worried about returning to the pain and suffering of this life. But Paul says rejoice in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trial. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the peace that you have with God. Rejoice in the peace you have with one another. And then he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonable is interesting because other translations put it as gentleness or graciousness. And those sound totally different. But there's not an exact word that translates into English. So they're using different ones. So it's kind of a, a culmination of all three ideas. You're reasonable, you're gentle, you're gracious. You're, you're, you're focused on the spiritual things in life. You're, you're patient and gentle and, and you're gracious toward others, not hoarding up and thinking about yourself all the time. And he says, let that be known to everybody. Essentially, if you have inner peace, you have become a reasonable, gentle, and gracious person. Not a person who's selfish and self-seeking. Anxiety results in the selfishness and the self-seeking. And that gives the wrong impression to everybody else around us. That's not what we want people to see in us. He says, let them see that you've been transformed by your faith. And your belief in the truth that has been given to you. Ultimately, this means that we have faith in God's future promise, and that creates an inner peace that transforms who we are right now. That's what is supposed to happen in the mind and the heart of the Christian, that we are thinking differently and feeling differently about everything because of the knowledge that's been given to us about who God really is, and we believe it. And it makes us into different people. He says, I want everybody to see that because all these people out there in the world are dealing with suffering and anxiety and fear of death, but you shouldn't be because of what you have. So many times I think we get conformed to the world without even knowing it. Everybody around us is worried about all these things, so we just think we're supposed to be. But if we're really believing in the promises of God, should we be so focused and so worried about all these things? No. Well, how do we overcome anxiety and fear to find peace? That's really the question that we all want to know. Uh, that's the question I wanted to know as I decided to study this topic. Uh, how do we overcome anxiety and fear in the face of trials and turmoil? Well, Paul tells us how. He says, first of all, the Lord is at hand. Same thing that Jesus said in Matthew. God's here. God's with you. Whatever trial we face, whatever suffering lies ahead of us, God does not abandon us. He will not abandon us. And he is right there waiting to take you home if that be the case. The next thing we see, he says, do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> Let me read that again. Do not be anxious about anything. 
read that again. Do not be anxious about anything. I need to read that for myself as much as I'm sure uh, many of us here. But, we're all rolling our eyes like, yeah, right. But, he says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How are we supposed to overcome anxiety and fear to find peace? Pray. Pray. And don't just offer up supplications. He says, offer up supplications with thanksgiving. Pray thinking about who God is. My first words out of my mind and my heart and my mouth as I pray to God is thinking about His promises to me. Lord, You promised You would be with me. Lord, You promised. I see these grocery stores emptying out because of COVID or whatever ends up happening. You promised that my needs would be met. Thank You for that promise. You promised that you would see my suffering and my trial and my affliction and that you would reward me for being faithful to you. How does that change the attitude of our prayer? As we, as we approach him recognizing what he's promised, thanking him for the goodness of who God is, can we still have anxiety about the things that we're suffering? Well, yeah, but it takes it away, right? It starts taking it away. You pray and you still have anxiety. Pray again. Pray again with thanksgiving, recognizing what you know about God, understanding who God is and what God has done for us. Notice what he says. If we pray and we let our requests be made known to God, it says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. If we approach the throne of God with thankfulness in our hearts over what we know is true from God and faith in the promises that He has made toward us, then He promises that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. In Christ. God gives us the word. So that we can have the peace of God. So that we can know who he is. And in that understanding. We can overcome whatever trials we face. If we know who God is. And we know he's with us. Then what can stand against us? What can conquer us? What can defeat us? without Him allowing it with some greater goal in mind. So we pray with thankfulness in our hearts because we know God is still in control. He still loves us. He's still right here with us all along the way. And He has given us that reassurance that He loves us by giving us His Son. Usually, anxiety might creep up in me if I start thinking, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe God doesn't uh, care for me too much. Maybe I, I, I'm studying and I see a sin that's blatant that I've continued in, and I'm just like, why am I still doing this? Why am I still dealing with this? God doesn't love me anymore because I'm this stubborn, rebellious heart that I'm seeing all over the Scripture. But He promises to love us 
to be with us, to help guide us, to sanctify us. And it's not an overnight thing. It's a work in progress that he is doing as long as our heart's desire is to become what he wants us to be. As we fall short of his glory, he works to make us into what we ought to be. Prayer is extremely important. When we have anxiety, is our first response to pray? If that was our first response, wouldn't we pray a whole lot more? If we have a lot of anxiety? That's the crazy thing, that we have anxiety and we just act like we can't fix it and life is horrible and we're spiraling out of control with anxiety. I know, I felt it. But pray. That's the avenue God has given us to overcome the anxieties that are in us. The world doesn't know that inner peace that comes because we know who God is and we know what he has promised us. And we believe. So pray. Pick up your prayer life. Let it help you to overcome whatever trial you might face, knowing that the suffering in this life is imminent and it's going to happen and then one day we'll either die or he'll return. We're going to suffer. But it's okay. He's with us. He knows what we're going through. And then he says in verses 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, don't be thinking about the earthly things. Don't be thinking in an earthly way. Don't be thinking about your anxieties and the fears and all those things that are welling up inside of you. Think about what is true. You know, what's, what's really funny to me is a lot of times my anxieties come up because I'm thinking about things as though it's going to happen when it probably won't happen. I tend to lie to myself and tell myself, well, that's, this is going to happen. I know it. We're going to go here and we're going to find this out and then everything's going to be gone and, and everything's just going to fall apart. And then nothing like that ever happens. I mean, it, I've got this worst case scenario and I've, I've run it through my, line, my mind as though it's true. But whatever is true, we need to really focus on what is true. What do we truly know? And the things that aren't true, we need to get out of our mind. We need to tell ourselves the truth. Whatever is honorable. It's not honorable for us to doubt God, that he would be able or be willing to, to help us, uh, to deliver the promises that he's given us, that he doesn't know what he's doing, or that because we have to suffer that he's, he's some way evil or hurtful or hateful toward us. That's not honorable thoughts. Those are evil thoughts. Those aren't pure. Those aren't just. If we know who God is, then we should understand that those things aren't right. And they're not thankful as we pray. They're not commendable. They're not excellent. They're not worthy of praise. These kinds of thoughts that well up inside of us, that take away our peace, are not what God has designed us to think about. He wants us to take every thought captive. 
following the example of Paul and Epaphroditus and Titus and Timothy and uh, Jesus and all the apostles because the loss of all things means that we gain more for Christ. If we lose it all because we are Christians, <laughs> then we are blessed immeasurably in heaven. And that is not a bad thing at all. If we really believe what God has told us. So imitate Paul with a life that is reasonable and understanding. When you have those anxieties well up, it's okay to be honest about them, to admit that they're there and to say, I'm, I'm not at peace with what's going on in my life. I'm missing out on some trust right now. I need to go to God in prayer and remember the things He's promised me and who God really is. And the peace that passes understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. What a wonderful promise that is for us. We need to be a people of prayer, a people of reasonableness, a people of gentleness, a people of graciousness, because we are a people who are anxious about nothing. I've heard multiple times now of Christians who sit on their deathbed and they're trying their hardest to get some evangelistic efforts going with their nurses. <laughs> there was an article about Bernice a while back that she's like 100 years old and she's sitting there like, I got to study with my nurse. <laughs> and that's just her focus. That's her mindset. Like it doesn't matter I'm not worried about the things that are here. I'm not worried about my life. I'm worried about the souls of others, and I care deeply about them. And I care about God and His will and His desires in my life. And that should be the things that we are concerned about and worried about. But in the end, we know God is in control. So those concerns and worries should not phase us. Uh, or change the way that we are. That we are reasonable, gentle, gracious, compassionate, focused on serving God with complete trust that He is taking care of us, that He is working all things for our good. If you're here tonight and you don't have that kind of inner peace, uh, I want to encourage you to devote yourself to greater study of who God is. Because the more you know God, the more you love God. That's the way it works. Because he's amazing. He's full of love and compassion and wonder and power and wisdom. And, and just we can soak it all up all day every day and never get, get tired of it. But if there's anything that you need to do in submitting your life to Christ, if there's anything that we can do to help you to gain internal peace, will you come and let us help you? Uh, please come as we stand and as we sing.